chapter, 2 Kings chapter 6. God bless you, brother. 2 Kings chapter 6. And who needs a prayer card? Anybody? You got yours? It goes in your Bible. Keep it in your Bible. It's a marker. When you're reading your Bible through, you just put it in there and keep it as a marker. And that way you've got it to remind you to pray. Who doesn't have, have one? Raise your hand. I got some volunteers right down here on the front row, I think. Let's see, who's going to do it? All right. There's some folks on the right side. Raise your hand. Got one over here. One on this side. Just see them. When you see them come by, raise your hand. Let's get one back there. You've got some. A Bible marker. Marks your Bible. Keep it in place where you're reading, where the preacher's preaching from. Thank you. And uh, we're on the back side tonight. Front side, what I want you to do, first time if you got it, I want you to put down the name of one person to be saved. And preferably that's somebody who lives around Marshall <clears throat> that needs to... Uh, Get saved. Thank you, honey. Needs to get saved uh, that would come to this church, hear the word of God, and get baptized and join the church and join the Sunday school class, join the choir, uh, sign up for special singing. What else can they do, Hunter? Anything. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> and uh, get to work for the Lord. Uh, you can volunteer to come and sit on the back row. We need volunteers to sit on the back row. Come, you got to come early, though. Get a good back seat at this church and fill it up so that other church members who need the Lord, they'll have to move forward, see? And any sinners that come in, they'll have, they can't sit back there. they got to move forward up front. 2 Kings chapter number 6. I don't think I'll keep you very long tonight. Not that I have a desire to keep people long or not. Um... But 2 Kings chapter 6 will stand in just a moment. And we'll look at uh, how to pray. How to pray for the lost. How do you pray for people who's lost? What do you say to God? Uh, I, I don't know there's a perfect way. But I do believe uh, the Bible is our answer to all of this. I believe the answer is found in the Bible. And I believe when you search the Bible and find things... In the Bible, I believe it'll make sense. Well, in London, the Archbishop of Canterbury <clears throat> was asked to go dedicate a chapel on Monday. And so he got up Monday morning. His sister lived up in that area. Uh, so he decided to pack a bag. He wore his uh, priestly robes, got on the train. Everybody respected him. Rode north, got off train station little town and walked over they had someone come to pick him up he got over to the church they're dedicating had the dedication service then he asked them to take him to his sister's house got to his sister's house he changed clothes he had a bag he put his royal robes in the bag and changed clothes and uh, spent the afternoon with her the story goes and uh, then whoa looked at his watch it's time to catch the last train to London and uh, he got to the train station. There's a whole bunch of people there. What he didn't know was that uh, one of the um, uh, mentally impaired groups down in London had scheduled a field trip up to that area. And the whole station 
was about full of people. Well, he wiggled his way up to get the front because he didn't want to be left behind. And uh, so he got on a seat in the first coach up the front. The director of the group didn't know who they were, who, who, but he knew how many. So he started counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Who are you? He said, I'm the Archbishop of Canterbury. Eight, nine, <laughs> ten, eleven, twelve. Now, people may not know who you are, but you ought to know who you are. We are a child of God. And we're in the midst of God's people. We're God's people. And uh, we are, uh, as I preached this morning, we're like the two spies that went in Jericho. We uh, saw uh, a sinner who needed help, wanted to be saved. We went to Joshua, who represented God, and made intercession to him for them. And said, please save them, Joshua. Uh, uh, she saved our life, and we want to save her and her family. And of course, story goes this morning, um, they were saved, and then she married into the family and got in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's an amazing story of God's grace that's there. Now, stand with me if you're able to stand. 2 Kings chapter 6, <clears throat> and look at verse 13. And he, the king of Assyria, said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and passed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he, God, smote them with blindness according to the word of God. Let us pray. Father, please open our eyes, Lord, tonight to the truth of your word. Help us to understand every word spoken, every word said. Make it plain and simple that even the youngest in the building to the oldest could understand what we should do in praying. Save the lost is our prayer, Father. There are people who are, are addicted to sin, addicted to their sins, uh, have a great problem in their life, yet the answer is Christ. Help them, Father, to be saved. Help us to be diligent in our praying for these that are lost. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. And if you're sitting near a friend or a loved one, turn to them and say, I love you. There are five miracles in this chapter. Verse 6, the iron axe head swims. Verse number 12, 
Elisha hears the king's words in his bedroom. Verse number 17, opening of the servant's eyes that he may see in the next dimension. Blindness, verse 18, blindness upon the Syrian army. Well, that's Pentagon needs that remedy, don't they? Boy, could they do something. And then verse 20, opening of the eyes of the Syrian. There are five miracles found here in this chapter, and the number five in the numerology is the grace of God. And you'll find that Elisha demonstrates grace to the Syrian army later in this service. Now look, number two, God's provision for his people. This young man comes out, and lo and behold, overnight the Syrian army has surrounded Dothan. There's no place to go. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's time to write the obituary. Time to go ahead and tell them what to put in the newspaper about you because we're fixing to die. And, uh, but what happened? Well, Elisha sees that, and uh, he says, uh, verse 16, Fear not. They that be with us are more than they that be with them. And that the unseen army of God was around the children of Israel and they couldn't see them. But with the eyes, you could see the enemy out there. But he, Elisha, explained to the young man, look, uh, there's, there's more on our side than there on their side. And then to do, prove that, Verse 17, he said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and his eyes were able to see in the next dimension around them that he could see the chariots of fire, the angels probably, all those things. Did you realize around this church there are angels? Did you realize around every believer, the angel of the Lord, uh, Psalms 34, 7, campeth round about them that put their trust in him? God's watching his people with a mighty army of angels. And he has many, many forces that are unseen to us, but it's described in the word of God. <clears throat> One of my favorite uh, songwriters and preachers was Albert Tinley. Albert was a black man whose dad uh, was a free man. His mother was a slave. Uh, he grew up poor, had, didn't have much in life, but he had one desire. He had a desire to learn how to read so he could read the Bible, and he did. He made a determination in his entire life every day to learn one thing new. How did he do that? He, he, page by page, he went through the dictionary and found a word he didn't know. Day by day, he'd go through the encyclopedia those days and find something he didn't know. And he educated himself. He went to the, to the Jewish synagogue there in Philadelphia in the 1900s and learned about the Hebrew language. He took courses in Greek. I mean, he was an astonishing man. Uh, he wrote, uh, I think, over 600 Christian songs. Uh, his church started growing so big in the black community, uh, they were having five and six services on Sunday in the 1900s. Uh, many of the white folks lived in Philadelphia, said they'd go to their church in the morning 
in the afternoon go over here and preach. Well, he had a, had a meeting in Paducah, Kentucky one night or one week. And so he and his wife rode the train down to Paducah, Kentucky from Philadelphia. And uh, as he preached, he preached against sin pretty hard. Do you know that people don't like to be told they're wrong? People don't like to be told they're living in sin. And the custom in that day at the end of the revival was to take up an offering uh, for the evangelist. And so they uh, passed the offering plate around. When we came back to the pastor, nothing was in it. The pastor reached in his pocketbook and pulled out all the money he had, and it wasn't much, and put it in there. Apologized to Brother Tinley about that. And Brother Tinley knew that God would take care of him. The next morning, they left the little profit chamber, went to the rate of the railroad station, and he had enough money plus that money to buy her a ticket back to Philadelphia. And he kept, uh, he kept some clothes he had, wore them. She carried everything else. He had a little knapsack, had a little cornbread in it. And, uh, and so she said, honey, what are you going to do? He said, the railroad tracks go back to Philadelphia I'm going to walk the tracks back. And so he started out when the train left. He said, I know which direction Philadelphia is, and I know the towns along the way. And so he started walking. And as the day went long, on, and uh, the day uh, is closing and sunlight is going down, he came to a railroad station, and the train master, the depot master, came out and saw him. And he looked at him and he said, uh, uh, you're a preacher, aren't you? And Brother Tinley said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, how about coming in, stopping in and getting you something to eat? And he stopped in and there in the train station, uh, he sent for his wife who lived nearby. They lived nearby, got him some supper, sat down and ate. And he said, what are you doing? And he told him the story. He said, listen, I've got a cot in there. Why don't you sleep in here tonight? He slept in there. Had something to eat. Next morning, sunrise, he got up, started walking home again. And Albert Tinley said every day that he walked from Paducah, Kentucky to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that God sent somebody by to help him along the way. And that uh, uh, some people didn't know he was walking the rails. But it seemed though like angels would get women uh, whose home was next door to the railroad track to come outside and there was a man walking and they would give him food and encourage him along. He got back to Philadelphia, made it. Uh, he missed a few services because of that. Uh, but he made it and sitting in his study there in Philadelphia, a poem started coming to him. And once the words came, he wrote them down. And then he started putting a tune to it. And it went something similar to this. If the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds the little birds. Take your burden to the Lord 
and leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. I'm going to tell you, God takes care of his people. Here is the whole Syrian army surrounded to get one man and kill him, Elisha. But God has a bigger army out there. And God empowers this man to speak and pray unto God and smite them with blindness. And then the uh, people can just go in and take their weapons from them and everything and more or less capture them. Now, how the Syrian army represents a type of the lost. They're blind. A lost person is blind. They're compared in the Bible to be blind. Even Jesus said of the Pharisees and scribes that the blind lead the blind and they both fall in the ditch. And that a blind, have you ever seen a blind person? Uh, we, we have uh, institutions, I know you do too, in Missouri here, teach the blind. They have a stick. And with that stick, they tap in front of them to make sure the ground is level. And then, uh, whoa, and then they'll turn it up and they'll find out where the steps are. And, and they can get around pretty good. They have to be taught uh, in school how to use that a walking stick they have. But you know, they can't see colors. They might can hear the birds sing, but they have no idea what a bird looks like unless someone describes to them or gives them one or, or a facsimile of one. And they're, they're, they're in a sad. It's a sad to be blind. Uh, most Helen Keller in Alabama, she not only was blind, she was deaf. And her teacher worked with her uh, starting giving her sign language to help her to realize there's things out here and start describing them to her. Water was the thing that Helen Keller's teacher used to help her to overcome her blindness and her deafness. But this is a picture of lost people. Uh, someone, uh, people are mean to me or rough to me when I witness to them. I have pity on them. I have pity on them. I don't get mad back at them. It is sad how the lost are. And uh, uh, this is a picture of it, the Syrian army. Now, Elisha is a type of the believer. He is going to lead them in the right direction. Number one on your list there, what do you pray? Dear Lord, open their eyes. And that's what you ought to pray. Because he led them into Samaria. And then verse 20 came to pass when they're coming to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. You know what they realized when their eyes were open? We don't have our weapons. We're in the enemy's camp. They have surrounded us. We are going to die. That's probably what they thought. And when the sinner's eyes are open, they realize where are they going to spend eternity. You know, if they don't 
think about where they're going to die and go to, then they'll continue right on in life. But if they get a realization there is an eternity, there is a hell, there is a heaven, where am I going to spend eternity? And that gets the lost person thinking about their eternal state. So the first thing we need to do is pray for that person on your list. Dear God, please open the eyes of those on my list. Open their eyes. Now look what he did. Look at verse 21. And the king of Israel said to Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? In other words, should I kill them? Verse 22, And he, Elisha, answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Look what he said. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. That's a strange thing in the Old Testament. I thought it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Some fellow said we keep up this eye and eye and Two stuff, we'll be blind and have to gum our food the rest of the day. I mean, this is not a good situation. He said, no, don't kill them. Set them down, feed them bread and water. And you'll find out, uh, verse 23, uh, that they, uh, great provision, he provided great provision for them. When they had eaten drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. You see, he fed them. Now, number two, what we need to pray is give them your word. Now, I don't know how God can give the word to people that are lost. But I believe that God can put a track, get someone to lay a track, a gospel track down somewhere, and they pick it up and get the word of God. I've got a, we have a good friend. His wife is still alive. He departed for heaven. He was a good deacon in our church. His testimony was he was working at Wheeling Foundries there in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Took a morning break, went to the restroom, closed the door, sat down, and somebody had put a gospel track in that restroom stall. He got it, sitting on the stool, read it. Something had touched his heart. He put it in his pocket, took it home, told his wife, she had already been saved. Her dad was a preacher. And uh, uh, he got saved because somebody simply laid a gospel track down in the restroom stall and he picked it up and read it. There's numerous ways that God can prepare the Word of God for people who need to be saved. Um, I, had a friend, I had a friend in the United States Army, Rod Bayshore, out of Tampa, Florida. Rod and I became friends. We'd study the Bible while I was there in Germany together. And uh, uh, we had a good friendship. And one day at the mess hall, I asked Rod. I said, uh, Rod, uh, tell me how you got saved. Where did it start? How did it start? He said, Randy, you probably won't believe me. I said, well, try me. Let's see. I'll see if I believe you or not. He said, I was a hippie. And I was living in Tampa. I had my rock station. I was living with my mom and dad. And I had my radio tuned to a rock station. And as soon as I 
came into my room, I'd turn my radio on as loud as I could, and I'd listen to rock music. He said, but one day I came home, turned my radio on, and a preacher was on my radio. He said, when I turned it on, he said, well, you know, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you don't repent, you're going to die without Christ and you're going to go to hell. He said, I didn't like hearing that. I, I wanted to hear some rock music. So I went over, he said, on the shelf, and I clicked, turned it off, turned my back, and I thought, well, that's the end of that. And then he started preaching again. He said, you know, but there's a remedy for your sins. Christ died on a cross for your sins. He died for mine, and you are without excuse Whosoever will can come to Christ and be saved. He said, I didn't want to hear that. So I went over to the wall and unplugged the radio and he quit preaching. And I turned my back and he started preaching again. He said, well, you're just like I was. You didn't want to hear this, but Christ died for your sins and you can be saved if you'll turn to Christ. Repent of your sins. He said, I had turned it off. I had unplugged it. And Randy, he's still preaching to me. I went over to the shelf and I was so mad, I slapped the, the radio and I heard him go against the wall. The radio cracked and he said, now today is the day of salvation. And he faded away. But I never could, Rod told me, forget that preacher on the radio preaching to me. I don't know how God can do it to your friend that's on your list, your family member on your list, but it's going to take the word of God for them to get saved going to take the word of God. I was pastoring in West Georgia and uh, Miss Mildred Davis, elderly lady of the church, was a precious, precious member and she came in church excited one Sunday and I said, Sister Mildred, what are you so excited about? She said, my son Billy's retiring from, from uh, Virginia, Virginia Beach. He worked on the docks. He was a stevedore and he's coming home to Tallapoose. He was raised here but he's coming home and going to live with me for a while. He gets his home. And uh, Billy came home, came to the church with her next Sunday. Big, tall guy. I mean, he is strong, but he is rough and gruff. He had worked on the docks with all those men up there, and you just didn't say please. You just said get it done. And he was short to the point, uh, but I understood Billy. And uh, Billy was saved. And, uh, and uh, time went on a little bit, and Billy gave me a name of a man, John Chandler. said, I want you to uh, pray for John Chandler to be saved, preacher. <clears throat> and uh, I said, well, where does he live? I'll go see him. And, uh, well, you go down there past the river and first dirt road to the left. Go down in there. And uh, so I, I got one of the deacons, and, and I said, uh, um, I think tomorrow night I'm going to go see John Chandler. When I said John Chandler, that deacon's knees became weak. He almost fell back into his seat. 
uh, he said, Preacher, no, 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 we can't go down there. He said, even the sheriff don't go down there. And I said, well, we're a little bit higher power than the sheriff is. <laughs> I said, we're God's people. I said, we'll take the church. And no, no, I'm, we can't go down there, preacher. Can't go down there. He said, that man has killed people. He's bought it. He's made it. He's sold it. He's done every illegal thing. And the sheriff won't even go down there. said, he's one of the meanest men in this whole county. I said, that man needs Christ. That man needs to be saved. God, Jesus died on the cross for John Chandler. He needs to be saved. <clears throat> My deacon, he wouldn't go. I needed somebody to go with me. I couldn't get nobody to go with me. I talked to Billy next Sunday, and I said, Billy, uh, are you witnessing to John? He says, oh, yeah, preacher. He says, on Saturday, I go to my truck and raise it up, and I cross the wires, spark plug wires. And then Saturday morning, uh, Friday morning, Friday night he'll do that, and then Saturday morning I'll go down to John's garage. And I'll tell John, I don't know what's wrong with this truck. It was running good last week, and uh, it's not running good now. See if you can fix it. And said, John, I'll lean over in that truck. And while he's leaned over in there, I'll tell him, you need to admit you're a sinner, John. You're on your way to hell, John. And said, I'll stand there and preach to him while he's trying to figure out which spark plug wire to put back right. I'll tell him he needs to believe on Jesus. I'll tell him he needs to call upon the Lord. He said, I'll, for the time it takes him, and then when he finally solves it, I'll give him some money. Next Friday, I'll mess something else up on my truck and go back down there on Saturday morning and talk to John Chandler. Came to me one Sunday and said, Brother Randy, he's about to come. He's about to come. And he pointed his big old finger at me and said, Preacher, now when he comes, you'll know it. But you better preach the hardest you've ever preached in your life because he's going to come. And he needs to be saved. And I said, yes, sir, I will. You get him here and I'll preach. And it wasn't just a week or two later, the choir is singing. And in the back door comes big old tall John Chandler and his wife Geneva, about half his size. And they come in and when Billy sitting on this side of the church saw them come in, boy, you, you, you just thought somebody had shined a light on him. He was all bright. He ran over there across that aisle, got John to sit next to him and sitting near the aisle and got John to sit down with him. And I knew that was John Chandler. And I knew John Chandler needed to be saved. I knew that community John Chandler had the reputation of being the meanest man in the whole county. I'd already prepared a sermon on salvation anyway, and I just preached it as loud and hard as I could and gave the invitation. Brother Terry Sheely was leading the singing and he was singing just as I am. <clears throat> and uh, I saw John start holding the pew. I saw his knuckles getting a little white. Uh, I told to turn to Sh Terry Sheely. I said, Terry, sing another verse. And we sang another invitational verse. That time I saw him lean down to his little wife, Geneva, and, and said something to her, and she went, shook her head no. And I told Terry, sing another verse. And we sang another verse. 
And uh, I tell you, it got a hold of him. Old Billy had been witnessing to him, praying for him. And I preached to him and gave him the word of God. And uh, boy, he broke loose. And when he broke loose in a little trot coming down to the altar, uh, Geneva bolted out and followed right behind him. And old Billy Davis came down there rejoicing in the Lord and got behind him and started beating him on the back and praying for him. And uh, he got saved by the grace of God because somebody cared about him. Aren't you glad somebody prayed for you? We need to pray, God, what is it there? Dear Lord, open their eyes. Number two, dear Lord, give them your word. And then number three, Give them your peace. Look look at 2 Kings chapter number 6 and verse 23. Look at the very last sentence. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Calculations are there was 40 years of peace between Israel and the Syrian army at that time. 40 years. I can see a, I can see a Syrian soldier being told by the king, we're going to get some volunteers and go back into Israel. And the guy says, uh, uh, no, last time I went in there, I went blind. I don't want to go anymore. And there was peace between those two. You know what the sinner needs? The sinner needs peace in their life. That's the reason they drink. They don't necessarily like that uh, horse spittle, rotten gut stuff they drink. Uh, it don't taste good. They don't like it. They do it to get away, get their brain off of thinking about what they really need to do. Drugs, addiction is terrible, terrible. And people do it sometimes to escape reality of this world. But they need the peace of God. The peace of God. There's an interesting story in 1777. In eastern New York, the Quakers had a church there. And they would spend the first hour or two at the altar praying. In 1777, there were a lot of different Indian tribes around New York State. Thirteen of the Indians, while they were at the altar praying, came in the back door to kill them all. But the chief looked on the wall where they hung their coats. There was no swords, no knives, no guns. They crept up to where they were praying. They didn't see anything on them. There was no armaments on them. They wanted to kill them. But when they saw they were a people of peace... They retreated out and waited outside the church. When the Quakers had their meeting, and uh, history says they'd sometimes start the music, and they'd start dancing around, quaking, and just going around in a circle, praising God. And uh, when the meeting was over, the pastor went to the door, the members, and there was the chief. And the chief came to the pastor and said, we came to kill you all today. But we saw you had no guns, no knives. And we believe you're a people of peace. 
and he pulled out of his pouch a white eagle feather. He said, here, I want you to put this at the entrance of your church up in the eve so that every Indian tribe will see that, that you are a people of peace. You know, we need to pray for God to give peace to sinners. They struggle. Oh, they struggle at night. They struggle during the day. We need to pray for people. Pray. What should we pray? Lord, open their eyes. Lord, give them your word. Lord, give them your peace. Let's stand, please, bow our heads. A word of prayer. There's a simple lesson on how to pray for the lost out of the word of God. Who is on your prayer list, friend? We want to have an altar of prayer and pray for those on our prayer list. Here's how you pray. Lord, open their eyes. Lord, give them your word. Lord, give them your peace. I wonder how many here could raise their hand and say, Brother Randy, I know I'm saved. I've called upon God to forgive me. Could you raise your hand and put it right back down? Thank you. I didn't try to look around and see everybody. If you could not raise your hand, listen, you need to come and get some peace in your life. Come get some peace. Father, bless thy word. Let your word take effect like rain and snow falling on ground. It'll not come back fruitless, but it'll feed the grass, feed the trees, and they'll bring forth fruit. Let your word bring forth fruit. Help us to be a witness here in our Jerusalem. For I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.